it is really easy to move in the wrong direction in life. And that results when you start thinking the wrong thoughts. How many of you have ever been distracted from what you knew was God's best for your life? Can I just see? Okay, that happened as a result of your starting to think something you shouldn't think. And so it's pretty clear, and we're going to see this today, but uh, the reality is whatever you are doing is resulting from what you have been thinking. So um, if you want to know what you were thinking about a year ago, you can take a look at your life today. If you want to know what your life's going to be like in a year from now, you can just kind of evaluate your thought life because that is such a powerful tool to take you in a certain direction, and, and it can very easily get you off track. I know you've, I know you've experienced this before. Um, I have on many occasions. You know, you, you know somebody, and then like, I don't know, maybe they get in a relationship or, I mean, they get a, a new job or whatever it may be, something suddenly shifts and you think to yourself, what are they thinking? And that's the key, isn't it? And so today, we're going to just come right back to center as God reveals something in the book of Titus. We're on this journey looking at Jesus revealed in each and every book of the Bible, and um, we're to the book of Titus. And it's really interesting because the book of Titus reveals Jesus as the truth who brings our lives into a place of flourishing. How many of you want your life to flourish, right? We want our lives to flourish. Let's just surrender to the flourishing plans of God. Just open hearts, lifted hands perhaps this morning. But Lord, we surrender to you what you desire to accomplish. I believe today there is spiritual, there's a spiritual battle going on in our hearts and in our minds and in this room. And so right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare that distractions in the spirit realm be broken in our lives, that we would be awakened to the purposes of God, that we'd be centered in on the clarity of your truth that would help us see the clear picture of what your plans and your purposes are. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us from ourselves by sending Jesus to show us the way. May we follow that example and embrace the very passion of Jesus Christ in the way we love, serve, and give. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're agreeing today. Um, have you ever acted on the wrong information and then, like, you regretted it? After you were enlightened and you saw it correctly, then you had regrets, right? So it's easy to do that. You act on the wrong information. You're thinking the wrong thing. You're, you're stepping into uh, kind of a perspective that you shouldn't. And then, I mean, like, how, you know, any, how many of you ever, like, you look back on your love life and you think, how could I ever date that person, right? How could I have ever fallen in love with that person? And, and you see it so clearly now that you see, you know, more information about the scenario and about the situation. And that's kind of the way it is in every area of our lives. When the right information surfaces, it all becomes so clear. So the key is getting the right information up front, Right. A lot of people, they get into a relationship and they just immediately, you know, find themselves emotionally entangled and getting serious. But the Bible actually says out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. 
And so what you have to do in the relationship is take the time to read the mail because the, the tongue is delivering the mail of what's actually being born from the heart. And a lot of people don't take time to read the mail, so they really don't gather the correct information. They get themselves in a situation they really regret that they have gotten themselves into. We want to try and gather the right information in every area of our lives. We do that by staying before the Lord in His Word, connected with His family. And this is what we see in these particular books. There are three books, and this is the third one that we've been looking at, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and today, Titus. These are the pastoral letters. If you're interested in church leadership in any capacity, you really need to familiarize yourself with these three letters, because this is Paul speaking to spiritual sons that were now stepping into a role of passion to lead the church that Jesus is so passionate about. And he's now giving these young men guidance and direction and instruction, and uh, some of it's pretty tough, and we'll take a look at a little bit of that today. But we need to understand Paul's letter to Titus is a message, and let me just say this. I've written the phrase out very specifically. I want to make sure you get it. But the letter that Paul wrote to Titus is a message to awaken flourishing lives. We all want to flourish. This is a letter to awaken flourishing lives resulting from right living how many of you know we need to learn to live right? How many of you have changed some things about the way you live today as opposed to the way you were living a year ago? Can I just see, take a quick poll. So we want to awaken flourishing lives by making a choice to live right as a result, in Paul's words to Titus, of correct theological truth. So what you believe about what God has to say is really important because God has a lot to say, but you've got to make the determination, the decision that you're going to believe. So what we find in this particular book, there were these false teachers that were coming in and they were teaching divisive attitudes and ideas. There's a lot of division in the church, a lot of frustration in the church, a lot of immature relational expressions going on in the body of Christ. Always has been, always will be because God works with imperfect people. How many of you are imperfect? Just point to somebody who's imperfect. Go ahead. Yeah, they're here. All of us are imperfect, but that does not disqualify us. God wants to deepen our lives by digging into His Word together as a family. And so in this scenario, Paul was directing Titus to establish a group of faithful elders to oversee doctrinal purity and bring clear instruction about what is referenced in the book of Titus as healthy conduct of believers. So that's what we want. We want to be healthy in our approach. We don't want to be religious. We want to be healthy, spiritual family, right? That's what we want to try and understand. God is our Father. We're wishing everybody Happy Father's Day, but come on, Happy Father's Day, Heavenly Father, who is orchestrating our lives. Aren't you thankful that He is a good, good Father who has established and networked our lives together that we might grow in our compassion and our love and our grace, that the heart of God would beat through our very lives. So write this in on your first blank, the whole essence of thinking right. This is such a great statement. Behind every sin you commit is a lie you believe. Behind every sin you commit is a lie you believed. So what we want to do is dispel the lies and embrace the truth and become more of the flourishing people God's called us to be as a family, causing the world then to flourish as a result. So I want to give you your action point right up front today. 
we, we believe that we carry God's presence into real life. It's great to come and worship and experience, and, and the Bible says, forsake, your, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And here we are gathering to worship, and we want to press into His presence. But what we want to do is carry that into real life. And so we believe God's presence is for real life, so there's always an action point that is our GP4RL, God's presence for real life action point of the week. And this week I'm going to ask you to memorize and rehearse the truth specific uh, Titus 2, 11 to 12, every day where it says the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And we're going to talk about this because I believe people misunderstand grace horribly in the day that you and I live. But the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So I want to ask you this week, every day, take your card home, it's at the bottom of your note card, put that somewhere where you'll be reminded, and every day just rehearse that, think about some of the ideas we're going to talk about today. Um, you, you need to understand grace is not just a great big fat eraser that makes your mistakes all okay, okay? That you got to understand that there are consequences for our mistakes. How many of you know there are consequences? God will still love you, but there are consequences. How many know if you cheat on your wife? Uh, you're going to have problems, right? And so there are consequences that come with our decisions. So grace is not a big eraser that just erases all of that. Grace actually embraces us in the embrace of God and teaches us to live lives in a way that we're making less and fewer mistakes, that our lives are flourishing more and more. This is what uh, we're seeing about whenever we're evaluating what Paul is writing to Titus. We start in chapter 1, verse 15. And he says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Their minds and their consciences. So we want to talk a little bit about what the mind is and what the conscience is and why these two things are specifically named in this portion of Scripture when we're talking about corruption and the way we think. Um, you know, the, the truth is, and, and I think we all can identify with this, nothing can stop you when your thinking is right. And nothing can help you when your thinking is wrong. And it is so important that we get our thinking right. And where do we find right thinking? We start in the basis of God's Word that begins to establish a foundation to help us have the right thoughts so that everything perpetuating out of our lives begins to be the expression of the very heart of God. So the difference between mind and conscience. I, I was trying to figure out how I could uh, explain this today because this is talking about people that are rejecting the truth. Their minds are corrupted and their conscience is corrupted. So you've got the conscience. Conscience is kind of like a, the, the hidden part of your life. The mind is what's on your mind, right? Um, with my, my youngest daughter, Lexi, got her driver's permit this week. Yeah, my prayer life, again, has skyrocketed. I am amazed how much parents learn to pray at these seasons of, of life. And so um, she and I are driving to the DMV, and while we're driving, uh, the, the, the atmosphere of the car goes really quiet. And I was talking to her about, now, after you, this is what we did with Faith, so this is what we're going to do with you. After you get your permit, you're going to drive from the DMV, and we're going to go to Joe's Famous Pizza. That, that was our routine. So we went to Joe's, and we ate. And then I said, and then from there, you're going to drive on the interstate. First day driving, I want you on the interstate. 
Now, I know some of you think that's probably not wise. Um, she certainly felt it wasn't wise, and she was now rehearsing this. She was like, I do not want to drive on the, I don't know how to drive yet. I don't want to do that. But I know that that stretch is really easy stretch, easy on, easy off. Uh, and so anyway, she's, she's sitting there, and she's gone totally silent on me now. And I'm driving, and I'm, I, and I'm starting to think now, I wonder what's on her mind. So I said, Lexi, have you heard Penny for your thoughts? Like, what are you thinking about right now? And this is what she did. She just stopped. She didn't say anything. She just looked at me, and she goes, ah! <laughs> That's what she was thinking about right there in that moment. You know, it's easy to understand what you're thinking about when you just think about what's on your mind. But here's the thing I want you to understand. There's something deeper that's going on in you. There's something deeper. Like, this is your conscience. This is your subconscious. The, the Bible actually says, because we, we tend to think a lot about our thinking head, right? We think about certain things in our mind. But the Bible actually says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You not only have a thinking head, folks, you have a thinking heart. And your heart is much stronger than your head. And the problem is not what's in the head. The problem is what's in the heart because the roots are in the heart that produce the seed that grows into what's in the head. So you've, that's why the Bible says, thy word have I hidden in my head. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. I'll get the word rooted and established and deep in my life. How many of you want to be strong in your faith? How many of you want to be strong men and women of God? Walking out God's will, God's plan, God's purpose. Unbending in your conviction. When you allow this to only be something you're trying to process in your head, you get very religious. And this was going on in Titus' day. And we have to be very guarded that this is not just a matter of what's in our head, but we really allow this to be established in our heart. We believe what we believe, but our problem is that we love what we love even more than we believe what we believe, and we rarely address the affection of the heart effectively in the body of Christ. So Lord, give us wisdom to do that today. Help us to see some things that we really need to see, some understand some things that we really need to understand to comprehend some things and spiritually digest some things that we really need to comprehend, embrace, and digest. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So your mind and your conscience. Your mind, if you're driving a car, uh, is kind of like the steering wheel. It's the obvious. But the conscience is a little bit like the GPS, like there are these unseen signals coming into the car, and it's telling you. How many of you have ever been driving, and you decided you were going to turn the wheel and take a shortcut, and it was not a shortcut? That's ever happened to you? That's happened to me a lot. I have the gift of lost when I'm driving. My wife teases me all the time. And so I've learned I just don't take shortcuts uh, unless it's just obvious, and everybody agrees. We vote. The council will speak. Um, and so that's the, steer, the steering wheel is kind of the obvious. But, you know, the GPS, how many of you ever you've been, like, listening to the GPS, doing what it says to do, and it takes you to the wrong place? Technology is improving now, and that's happening less. But when we first started with this whole thing, there were many times that uh, my wife, by the way, your GPS in your car, uh, do you have the, the voice set to a woman's voice? Or do you have it set to a man's voice? Because like for me, I'm used to a woman telling me how to drive, so I set mine to a, a female voice. And so I'm listening to these two women's voices while I'm trying to drive the car. And, uh, and I used to always pay attention to my, I called her Maggie, because her, it was the, 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 the brand of the GPS unit that I would stick in, you know? And so her, it was something, started with M-A-G. But anyway, I called her Maggie. And so 
Tracy would be trying to talk to me, and Maggie would start speaking, and I would go, sheesh, Maggie's talking. And Tracy would get very jealous about this because she wants to be the main voice in my life. And then when Maggie would, like, take us to the wrong place, then Tracy would relish the moment to explain that I should not be listening to that woman's voice, but I should be listening to her voice. And so I've kind of learned, even if Maggie takes us to the wrong place, now Siri, even if Siri takes us to the wrong place, I know that Siri doesn't go to bed with me at night, and so I just leave her in her own component world. But, you know, Tracy and I, we, I listen to her, and we just kind of get lost together if that's the case. But this these secret, like, GPS signals coming from these satellites, you can't even see them. How in the world do they even know turn right in 15 feet? When, le- when legal, make a possible U-turn. You know, all, how do they even know all of this, where to go? It's just, it's just not seen. It's unseen. It's not obvious. That's the conscience in your life. There's this prompting guidance system in you, and it's trying to move you a certain direction. Listen to me. If you do not stay true to who you are in Christ and what He reveals in His Word, your guidance system will malfunction. You will willingly navigate into the wrong places, and you will justify it every step of the way, and you have to take every thought captive. You have to submit yourself in relationship with people that you know love you that will tell you the truth. On this Father's Day, let me recognize not only our natural fathers, happy Father's Day to the natural fathers, but happy Father's Day to the spiritual fathers, the mentors, the fathers, and those that pour into our lives to encourage us forward. And my spiritual father, Dale Gentry, one time I was talking to him, I was pretty young, and I was navigating through some things, and I was, in all honesty, personally, emotionally, I was kind of veering off course a little bit in an area of my life. And I began to describe to him, he heard me say on probably three or four different occasions, Dale, I'm just a little apprehensive about this situation. We're just a little apprehensive, talking about Tracy and I. We're just a little apprehensive. And he, he just like a good father should, he said, Lawrence, I want you to stop calling fear apprehension and realize God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. I didn't cheer and clap like you did. (laughs) I stood corrected because I needed to be fathered. And we need that in our lives. So we need someone to help us. Otherwise, our navigational system starts to go berserk. It starts to take us places and cause us to think things and migrate in areas that we really don't want to go. We are all going somewhere. Do you understand that? Today, your financial decisions are taking you somewhere financially. Your relational decisions are taking you somewhere relationally. Your spiritual decisions are taking you somewhere spiritually. Do you want to wind up where your decisions are taking you? Because you don't get to go where you want to go because you want to go there. You have to go where you are going because those are the decisions that you're making. You can't just hope you're going to make it to Tulsa if you're on I-40 West. You might drive I-40 West and celebrate Tulsa. We're going to Tulsa. We're going to live in on Tulsa time. You can do whatever you want. But if you're driving I-40 West, baby, you're not going to get to Tulsa. You're going to get to Amarillo. And nobody wants to go down there. (laughs) It's a directional reality. Where are you going? Where are you going? 
Where are you going? Do you want to be going where you are going? Stop pretending you're going somewhere you're not. Get a wake-up check. Get a reality check. You're going where you're going. Do you want to be there? Because if you don't want to go there, change course. You can change course. God's trying to get the right signal to us so that we can navigate effectively. That's why we must learn to pray attention. Pray attention. It's your next blank. God's plan is for you to flourish and experience abundant life. That's why we need to learn to pray attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Pray attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He is taking you the right place. The question is, are you willing to go where he's trying to get you? Have you ever wished you had a time machine? Oh man, if I could only go back. If I could only go back and do that over again. If I had only had a do-over. I mean, I've found myself in many instances thinking, if I could only go back. But here's the reality. So often, we knew we shouldn't do it before we ever did it. I don't know, would a time machine help? I mean, you got a little bit of experience on your side now, but it's not like you didn't know. Most of the time, we know that, like, you know, you got to know her. How many know you got to know her? There's something going off in you as we're talking today, and the Holy Spirit is in here awakening the knower so that we're just, you know, aware, God's speaking, stirring, trying to direct and guide. God wants God's will in your life more than you want God's will in your life. It's a real encouraging reality. Like, he is working hard to try and get you there. I think so many times God looks at me, and, he, and he's watching, and, and I'm on a great course. Can anybody relate to this? And then, like, he's saying, oh, no, oh, oh, oh. Lawrence Neeson, what are you thinking? For the love of Jesus. And Jesus, that's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it's just this whole thing going on where he's watching. I don't know how he manages not to get so frustrated that he just squashes all of us. But I'm so thankful for his wonderful, wonderful grace. And he keeps navigating, somehow orchestrating. Even our bad decisions become a part of the wonderful plan that he orchestrates it all together. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing thing that he does. His plan is for us to flourish, and he's constantly trying to guide us to get there. So notice this in chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. It says, for the grace of God, this is what I'm wanting you to focus on this week, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We all get that, saved by grace, thank God. But let's understand grace a little more today and try and bring a revision and a correction to what so many people have thought about grace erroneously, particularly in our area. It goes on, it says, grace teaches us to say no. Would you say no? No. Okay, I want you to think about temptation in your life. And with fortitude, I want you to say no. No. With situations that will come your way in the next seven days. How many know there are situations that are coming in the next seven days? What are you going to say when it comes your way? No. No. I want you to say it out loud this week. No. Whenever the temptation starts to come your way. No. I refuse that. I, I, I will not go there. How are you going to learn this? Well, the Bible actually says that the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. 
What this is saying and what this is teaching is that God, by his grace, is prompting and guiding and giving direction. That's why you knew what you shouldn't do before you did it so many times, because God was right there with you trying to help you get it. See, in the world system, here's how it happens. You go and you think about doing something wrong, you do something wrong, you face the judge, and you get convicted for the crime that you did. How many of you know that's the world system of conviction? But in the kingdom system of conviction, you think about doing something wrong, you're immediately convicted by the Holy Spirit before you ever do the crime. Therefore, you avoid doing what's wrong. You don't have to face the time. How many of you glad you're not going to jail tomorrow for the decisions that you made before? But aren't you ready to live on an entirely different plane where you are walking out the will, plan, and purpose of God led by His Spirit? I want this in my life. Every day more than ever before, I want to live in a way that brings glory and honor to God and dignity into fellow humanity, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, knowing when somebody around me needs a word of encouragement, not because that's just what I do, but because that's what I hear. And when I'm hearing the right signal and listening to the voice of God, the behavior of my life then begins to be transformed radically in a real, real way. In our, I'm talking every. This is how we bring God. God's presence into everyday real life. Flourishing. So chapter 3, Titus 3, verses 4 and 4 to 7. I want you to hear the characteristic and the nature of God. Remember, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to the stuff that's trying to destroy us. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. I want you to hear these words. These are such important words. Kindness, mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously. Isn't it beautiful? Kindness, love, mercy, generosity through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Love, kindness, mercy, generosity, graciousness. Aren't those beautiful characteristics of God that He wants to awaken within us? How many of you know religious people can be mean people? We really need to get honest about this. I have to tell you, I find myself so many times in situations around absolutely non-churched people thinking about how mean churched people would be to the non-churched people if they were there in that situation. And, and I mean, it may make you uncomfortable, but I tend to feel a little more at ease around non-churched people than I tend to feel around church people. Anybody feel this way? See, the characteristics of God are love, kindness, mercy, generosity, graciousness. And like, you know, I mean, I, I come from a background where I was involved in drugs and those types of things. And man, if, if somebody was on your side, all you had to do, leave your car unlocked and just say, hey, man, I'll be back and get my car. And um, it doesn't matter what they are. I mean, if they're like part of the posse, they, you, you know they will, they will take care but then there are like religious people that wouldn't spit on you if you're on fire because you don't believe the same thing they do. Paul was addressing this. 
in the book of Titus. And it's very interesting because if you think about like all those gracious things that draw us into the righteousness of God, and, and we are drawn, like we aren't just good people. You understand? We aren't just righteous people. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So how many of you know you went from bad to better than good when you met Jesus? Aren't you glad? But what you need to understand about that is a person's sense of accomplishment and advancement many times is the origin of a person's judgment. Think about it. A person's sense of accomplishment or advancement many times is the origin of a person's judgment. I mean, you know, if somebody loses weight, then all of a sudden anybody overweight is just lazy and don't know what their problem is. Why? Because I've accomplished something and now it becomes the origin of advancement. If somebody's doing well financially, then poor people are just lazy. Why? Because my sense of accomplishment or advancement many times lends to the origin of my judgment. If a person comes into a place of righteousness and they understand that, they start to get a perspective of it, if they're not careful, they'll be religious about their attitude and everybody else requires a pinch of the nose to be around because they're not like us. This is exactly what Paul breaks down in Titus chapter 3. And he says, if you read this chapter, you'll see the context of this. Don't just talk about all this frustrating, divisive stuff of this person's you know, right, this person's wrong, but, but actually live a life that expresses the graciousness and the kindness and the love of, listen, that, it's the kindness of the Lord that led you to repentance, Right? then a gospel that we believe and present that lacks kindness is a gospel that will lack repentance of the people in the world around us. How loving and kind and gracious are we in our behaviors? And, and Paul says this to Titus, and he says it pretty hard. He says, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. People that have this divisive attitude of we're good, they're bad, and the problem in the world is the bad people, even though we're neglecting the Bible verse that actually says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, all of heaven will break loose in the earth. It's not the bad people. The problem in the world is not the abundance of darkness. The problem in the world is the absence of light because a bunch of religious people have embraced a lot of religious ideas and they've not embraced the gracious, loving, serving, giving, kind nature of God, expressing it to our world. That's what will change the world. Other verses, but let's just walk into this. And let me just say it. This is your next blank if you fill this in. If maturity were perfection, then none of us would be mature. I hope you're under deep conviction, because I am. <laughs> i got to tell you, I'm not up here having figured this out. And because I'm the master of these concepts, I get to be here. That's not it at all. Perhaps it's just the opposite. And the more I realize how far I've fallen short, maybe the more qualified I am to stand up here and say, it's really all about Jesus. It's just all about Him. 
And because of that, because I'm in touch with that, because I have that reality and that I've reconciled that within me, I'm standing here knowing that I, I have nothing good to offer anybody unless God, by His Spirit, clothes me with his anointing. Yesterday, I, I mean, I felt almost desperate. I was looking over my notes, and I just wasn't feeling it. I was looking at it just thinking, I'm just not sure. When I first started speaking this morning, I don't know if you were feeling it, but I wasn't feeling it. And I was thinking, oh God, in my mind, I was thinking, oh God, this is what I was feeling yesterday. And I yesterday was praying, God, I really just ask you, will you just put me on, like, like just be in me in the Spirit of God. Put me on as if I'm a, a cloak or a coat over you, and you have your way, and you awaken us, and whatever Jesus wants to say, let Jesus say it. Let him awaken the church. Let us be warriors that are awakened to the love of Christ and the power of God and the gracious anointing that he wants to place upon our lives. If maturity were perfection... None of us would be mature. Listen carefully. Repentance is a weapon. Repentance is a weapon. And the more you wallow in guilt, the longer it takes you to repent, and the more the enemy keeps you out of the fight. Mature people are simply people who learn to repent faster than immature people who think they don't have the right to repent. I don't think we've got all this spiritual maturity thing right. In so many ways, I think we've turned it into religious conclusions that are so doggone confusing. So just hear it. Repentance is a weapon. So stop wallowing in guilt for the mistakes that you've made in your life and get back in the fight. We need you in this fight. We need you in this fight. We need you not standing there feeling guilty during worship, feeling like you're not worthy. We need you lifting your hands, repenting before the Lord. We need you releasing something with a hand clap of praise in this house. We need you shouting. We need you dancing. We need you giving everything that you are. We need the Spirit of God being awakened within you. We let it go. We let those things go. Come on, let's all stand to our feet. We need to let some things go today. Lord, we repent. We repent where we've allowed our ideas to become our conversation and our expression more than our love. We repent where people have been known more, where people have known us more by our agenda than they have by our love. We repent for people where people have known us more by our theology and what we've chosen to believe than the love that we've expressed graciously with kindness and mercy. The same grace, Lord, has been extended to us. May we learn to express that in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. You know, one of the most powerful stories I've ever learned and heard about understanding evangelism and sharing Christ was where the young boy did some things he wasn't supposed to do, and the dad found out about it. And he knew he was going to get creamed. You ever been there? I was there often growing up. I knew I was in big trouble. 
And this little boy knew he was in big trouble. He did something pretty big, and his dad was not happy. And he, the kid came in the room, and the dad announced to the family, I want everybody to leave so that we can have a conversation. Everybody leaves, and he just gets down on one knee to the boy, and he looks at him. He says, you know what you did is wrong. The boy's crying now. I know, Dad, I know. I shouldn't have done it. And he looked at the boy, and he said, I love you. You're forgiven. Now go out and play. And that kid went out in the neighborhood. He couldn't keep his mouth shut about how amazing his dad was. He said, man, you've got to understand how loving my dad, this is amazing. He's telling this friend, he goes over to another friend, my dad's so loving. That's who we are. We've turned this thing around and made it so complicated, like God looked into your eyes and you deserve death because the wages of sin was death. But when you accepted Christ, he looked into your eyes and he said, I love you. Now go out and play. Tell people about the goodness of God, the graciousness. That's what's going to win the lost. Don't go out and tell them, you've accomplished this and you've accomplished this. I don't drink and I don't chew and I never dated any girls that do. You know, whatever your whole thing is. Don't get it all set into motion and you've got all your guidelines and rules and structure. He's forgiven you. <laughs> he wants to forgive a world that's so riddled with sin.